Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Hello, everyone. This is Liz. This is Nick. And I have been watching because I haven't been having any sex, Conversations with Friends. I've never heard of it. This is the book by Sally Rooney. And so at the beginning of lockdown, we had a later novel of hers, which was Normal People. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that was a big hit on the BBC iPlayer. And this is an earlier book, which had just been made by the same team into a series, 12 parts. And this is also on the BBC iPlayer. And I hated it. Did you? The heroine, Frances, Frances, she's one of these privileged young white women. I don't think she's a millennial. I think she's Generation Z. She's at university in Dublin. She thinks she's a poet. But she's got no personality and she's so dreary. And she's one of these very privileged young women who don't think they have to wear makeup. Yeah. And they don't have to dress nicely. And she wears crumpy boots and she wears the most awful clothes. And she's always rubbing her eyes. And she has an affair with a married actor who's married to quite a glamorous wife. And they live in an amazingly beautiful house. So they've obviously got money. But she's so dreary. And I literally want to punch her. And what I always find is that... So she wants to be a writer. She pays no attention to her expensive university course. She just obsessed with herself. She's got no personality. So how she, how can she be a writer? Because she's got no personality. And she's got this awful best friend called Bobby. And I got so bored with Bobby, who is so sort of chippy and resentful and difficult. And most of the dialogue is, how's Bobby? I'm buying a Christmas present for Bobby. How's Bobby? Have you seen Bobby? I don't give a stuff about Bobby. And I just hate these sort of young women where they're so sure of themselves, they don't even put on mascara. I like, and it's important in a writer, for you to have a little bit of self-doubt, a little bit of angst, some anxiety. And she's just, the only time she phones her father is when she's overdrawn. She's just so dislikable. And there was a, a review in Glamour and Bobby tells Frances, your self-obsession is exhausting and it's hurtful and it's fucking boring. Yeah, it's boring. The whole thing is boring. It's self-indulgent. And she goes on a free holiday to Croatia or something and she just she doesn't even take a present for the host. And it just tells me that these young people are just ghastly. They're ghastly. And she keeps showing us her nipples. Don't oh, show me your nipples. nipples. I don't want to see your nipples. There's too much nipples in normal people. I don't want to see I don't it. want to see your nipples. No. And the guy she's having an affair with is, is an absolute sap. And I just hated all of them. And I don't, you know, someone wrote in the papers at the weekend that, Sally Rooney is critic proof. She's not critic proof. 
Because I hated it and I hate her. So you and I hate her books. So you, you didn't like it then? I didn't like it. Don't hold back though. Say what you think. Don't hold but back. I, I hate these privileged young women who think they don't have to try. You know, she goes out and she's in clumpy boots and an old piece of dirt. And there's no sort of, gosh, am I good enough? Shall I try harder? Shall I try and be witty? Shall I be polite? Shall I take the host a present? I just think they've forgotten their manners, these young people. I hate young people. I have to say, my experience of, of young people quite a lot is is no manners at all. No, and, no. and also no work ethic. No work there's, ethic. There's no work ethic. She doesn't ethic. pay attention in, in college. She doesn't pay attention in her expensive course. No. She just wants money from her parents. I never got any money from my parents. Gets naked at the drop of a hat. I never got draped naked unless the light was off and I blindfolded him. But, you you know, to be an artist, for her to be a poet, you've got to have some self-doubt. You've got to question everything and not just get up in the morning, you've got shiny hair and, oh, God, I, oh, I hate her. I wish the man had asked me to write about this because I would have annihilated her in a whole shebang. And I just hated the whole thing. And it goes on for 12 episodes, and that's 12 episodes I'll never get back in, in my life. Have I you read the book? It. Well, I've read Normal People, and I remember I had a date, and I took the book with me because I get quite bored doing dates, and the boyfriend said, oh, well, Normal People, it's not about you then, is it? <laughs> it wasn't but a first date, was it? Normal People, didn't, it didn't go far enough. She was no. horrible. She was horrible to Paul, wasn't she? She no, was horrible. I didn't, I didn't particularly like it. I've got to be honest. It was too much sex, too much romping. I just, uh, well, but he got naked. That was okay. But... I don't mind them having a bit of sex. but And also, the whole of this series is pretty much conducted on their phones. So you get a text. So you're peering at the screen trying to read the text. And then she gets another text. And then she gets another text. And then she's in terrible pain because she's got period pains. Get a real problem. Well, that's, I think, how people have relationships quite often nowadays, over text, over social media. Yeah, but don't media. put it on television, no. you know. Let's have Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I just don't want to oh, read gosh. people's texts. No, well, I need my glasses to read people's texts. I can't do it anymore. It was just awful. It's dreary and boring and there's no funny lines. It's not incisive. It's no self-doubt. It's just dreary. And these people are just not interesting. No, this doesn't like it, by the way, just in case people didn't get that. This doesn't like it. But they it. said she's critic-proof, but she's not. She's not Lizzie-proof. Not critic-proof. No, won't have it. So you haven't had a very good week, have you now? No, I've had an awful week, actually. My Literally, my heart hurts. And I didn't know, honestly, if I could talk about it today. And I wanted to talk about it because it's something that so many of us go through. So after 16 years, I've lost my best buddy, my, my Charlie. He's been ill for a long time. He had a lot of problems. He had dementia. He had heart problems. But we were managing them, and he had a really good quality of life, mainly because he had 24-hour care. If he went in a corner like they do with dementia, it was always me or my mum. Look at the dogs saying she's joining in. And he had a, he had a lovely life, but this weekend he deteriorated. He was more confused, and, and it was just time. Yeah, so Monday I made the decision to let him go and, and it was it was a really hard decision, but it was the right thing to do. Charlie's just like a fantastic dog. I mean, he was so naughty. He had this thing where 
if he was deciding whether or not to take notice of you or whether he was going to run in the opposite direction, he did the bewitch thing, the nose thing. Nice. Yeah, he did the nose thing. And it was little things like I miss like that with the dementia. He stopped doing things like that. It was amazing. I sort of wanted to talk about him because he was so amazing to me because he's my baby. And um, he went at home and it was lovely. It was actually lovely. And I thought to myself, do you know what? He's had the best life. He's had 16 years doing exactly as he pleased. You know, it, was, it was my failure. I, I, as far as training was concerned, no chance. He did exactly as he pleased. He buggered off and caught rabbits. He went off with Martin on the tractor. He used to love riding on the quad bike. He's not the sort of dog that wanted to be in a trapped body. You know, he's not, he's, he's a real free spirit. And it sort of comforts me to think that he's not in that body anymore, that he can't do what he wants to do. And I was there and my mum was there. And Catherine is his vet. And she's been incredible looking after him, absolutely incredible. And we were sort of sat on his orthopedic bed with him. It, it was lovely, actually. It was really, because he was ready to go. And I absolutely know it was the right time and it was the time to go. And, you know, he just drifted away with me and my mum. And before Catherine come, I was laying on the floor with him, cuddling him in his bed. And I think this is a major difference to me. I was I was obviously very upset because I was waiting for the vet. And, you know, that wait seems like forever, doesn't it? You're waiting for her to come. And it's never going to be long enough because you want that extra time with them. But then the wait is agonising. And it was funny, I had my eyes closed and I was cuddling him and talking to him. And I was saying about Zach, Zach was my staffie I lost three years ago that Charlie was really, really close to. And he's not honestly been the same since Zach died. And I was thinking in my head, come on, Zach, come and get him, you know, look after him for me. I should do, you know. And clear as day in my head, and I haven't told you this, have I? And clear as day in my head, I had this picture of Zach and Charlie standing together looking at me. And it was as real as anything. It really was. And something in my head said, Charlie's already gone. He's with Zach now. It's just his body. It's oh, just right. his body now. And it's been such a comfort. I believe it. I believe he is with Zach. It really has given me, made me feel so much better about the decision I've made. And Catherine come and we all sat around. And after he'd gone... We drank gin and tonic and toasted him and me and mum told Catherine stories about how bloody naughty he was. Do you know what? In my house, there's no peace. You can't even die in peace in my house. We're sitting there with Charlie and he's gone by now, drinking a gin and tonic and talking. It was a bit like a wake. We had, you know, the, the little stories. In comes the bloody cat with a mouse, drops the mouse. Mum's scared of mice. I thought mum was going to end up on top of the cooker. I'm trying to catch the mouse and put them, turn the mouse out in the field. Then Boris comes and sits in the bed between me and Catherine and sits with, Char with, with Charlie. And do you know what? Boris has been incredible. He's slept with him when he's not felt been well. He's got in the bed with him. And while I was waiting for the vet, he laid on the sofa with his head dangling into the bed with Charlie next to him. And then after he'd gone, he'd come and sat in the bed with Charlie. And I think, to be fair, it was probably because he wanted attention because me and Catherine was either side of Charlie and he was probably jealous. But I choose to believe, I choose to believe that it was because he wanted to be with Charlie. That's my choice. So it's been a hard, hard wait, but it did make me think how bloody cruel dementia is. It was hard for me. I didn't sleep. I was up most of the night because even when he was sleeping through the night, I still stayed awake watching him. 
in case he wanted to get up and he got, or he got stuck in the corner. Or I didn't go to bed. I slept downstairs with him for the last God knows how many months. And it was funny, the Apple Watch the other day come up with my average is two and a half hours sleep. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, I had that much? Bloody hell. Martin's auntie has got dementia and she's a sweet, sweet lady. You know, like your typical old lady granny type with your white hair and your knitting? And she's turned into a woman that breaks the glass and goes after her carers. You know, and it, it's changed her so much. She's unrecognisable. And that never happened with Charlie. He wasn't, he was still Charlie. But My mum had, had dementia. I think it was, I think it was brought on because she was so disabled. She didn't move and do anything. And so her brain just sort of just atrophied. Stopped, yeah. Yeah. And the only thing she knew to say was, I'm getting better and thank you. Oh, bless her. That's the only thing she knew how to say. No, Char- Charlie was like the most sweet, funny, little sod, wasn't he? <laughs> he was a little sod dog who loved everybody. I mean, God help you if you was a rabbit. But to... it's funny, isn't it? Nature's a funny thing, isn't it? it? Is. Like when I was oh. growing up, I was so terrified about my parents dying. Yeah. I thought I'd never survive it. Because my mum was so sweet and I was always worried my dad was going to have a car accident. But when it came to my mum dying, she'd been for 10 years stuck in a bed. It wasn't the tragedy that I thought it was going to be. It was actually the best thing that could happen to her was that she died. Yeah, and I I, I agree. I think, you know, we have to be Charlie and your mum and anybody in that situation, it's not a tragedy. Charlie was elderly. He'd had an amazing life. His his passing was like a ritual almost, you know, the way we sat around, we we drank with him, you know, we we talked about him. It was it was beautiful. He slipped away. And it's not a tragedy. It's heartbreaking and my heart hurts and it's hard. You and know, it I hurts get her- more to see them suffer. Absolutely, absolutely. And I was so glad that I could give him that last bit of love. You know, I've sat up with him all night. I've had a deli counter's worth of buffet to try and get his tablets down in from Sainsbury's. I've driven him in the car to do his little 10-minute walk that he could cope with to all different places because he loved going different places. He's literally been treated like a little prince. And the final thing that I could do for him was to make sure he didn't suffer and I was so grateful to be able to do that for him and I can't imagine what it's like if you've got a mum or a dad and you're having to watch them and you can't stop that pain for them I can't imagine so yeah rock on Charlie but what you did Nick was you self-medicated with Colin Firth I did self-medicate with Colin Firth because thank the lord he was on available to rent well, the film was not for Colin Firth. I'd have paid him for the evening. And I watched Operation Mincemeat because I'm keeping busy. I can't, I'm not allowing myself to think. I'm keeping busy. There's going to be painting. There's going to be gardening. There's, I'm just As long as I don't think, I'm okay. And Colin Firth is a good distraction. I'll work with that. And do you know what my prominent thing was in that film? It's a very good film, by the way. Yeah, I haven't seen Operation No, no, it's a very yet. good film. But the one thing that stuck out to me, at one point he, put, he was cuddling this woman horrible trollop he was cuddling this woman it should have been me and he put his hand on the back of her head he's got the hands of a 20 year old should i tell you why that is he's never done a day's work in his life manual he's, never, labor. he's never done the washing up he's never done manual labor i'm telling you unless he had those in fat, fat he must have injections. got livia to do the washing up well you had them injections in your hand didn't you 
He's either had those or he's never done a manual day in his life. Yeah, the injections in the back of my hands, they didn't last very long, though. But I've got quite youthful hands, I think. Yeah, no, my I hands haven't. are quite nice, aren't they? I haven't. I've got the hands of a woman of 90. Mind you, I've got most... What do you think of my hands? No, your hands are very nice, but they're not because it's your feet, are you? Would you call them your shells? Your shell feet? Yeah, my feet are like shells. Shells are like shells. Now, my, look, look, I'm like a 90-year-old. I've aged this week, honestly. No, I once said to my husband, what's my best quality? And he said, your feet. Oh. Does he have a foot fetish? No, but you were just thinking of trying to think of something nice to say. Oh, well. No, but you like your feet, so it works. Yeah, but they're not my best quality. No, not your best quality. What about you? How's your weight been? Apart from having me wailing. <laughs> do you want to read this week's column? You can. I'll let you do it. It's not a diary. It's not a diary. Do you want to listen? I'll listen. You read it. I'll listen. The May issue of Vogue has landed on my desk. It has Kate Moss's daughter, Lila, on the cover, which makes me feel as old as the hills. Can you believe it's no longer Kate Moss, it's her daughter? No, and looking at her makes me feel very inadequate. The magazine features an interview with a shoe designer who can somehow afford a Swiss bolt hole and a restored <sighs> castle in Puglia. You know, I went to Puglia with my husband once. Wasn't that... um? Oh, I came in the show, Howard Keel singing about Pugula. There's a song about it. I went on holiday there once and I went to a cookery class and my husband said, you're never going to teach her how to do pasta. She's the worst cook in the world. And he had fish baked in salt. And I never saw him for the whole holiday because he was, he was off running. Oh, what do you, who wants to run on holiday, honestly? He did. It's, no. dis, it's called displacement activity. No, I want to eat, drink and do nice things. I don't want to run. So here's this interview with this shoe designer. And there must be a lot of money in shoes if he's got a castle and a retreat in Switzerland. And his day, he rises at 6.30am, exercises and washes his stallion, a horse. Right. And he's at his desk by 11am. Later, he will tend to his nine hens irrigated his garden by an artesian well. Why would you have nine hens? Why nine, not ten? Why? Everything is soundtracked by the hum of honeybees. I used to buy interest stories like this. I believe that if I moved to the countryside, I too would rise at dawn, exercise and wash my horse, tend to my chickens and listen to bees. The reality, you must drive 400,000 miles to the nearest Sainsbury's, during which time your two last remaining hens, Gwen and Veronica, oh, are dragged into a hedge by a fox. The horse gets colic twice and dies in agony. She never did like being washed. The only soundtrack is incessant leaf blowing and strimming. The well, indeed it was my only source of water in the Dales, contained a dead sheep and high levels of lead. Real life is never as it's portrayed in glossy magazines. And because I spent my life trying to emulate a spread in a glossy, I've been doomed to fail. I peeled difficult fruit to emulate the model Debbie Dickinson, and I bought crystal bud vases from Petersham Nursery. What do you mean you peeled difficult fruit? Watermelon. You don't peel a watermelon. Well, I tried. <laughs> no wonder it was difficult. I was never invited on board yachts like Debbie Dickinson. The flowers always died. I bought into rom-coms, hook, line and sinker. 
I cried at the end of Notting Hill, when the reality of most celebrity couplings more often resembles the shenanigans between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. I embarked on a several years long romance with a man, entirely on the strength of the way his eyes twinkled at a party in 1983. See, I blame... Who's the man who made all those rom-coms? Which one? Well, Notting Hill, Love Actually. No, the man who made them, not the actor. No, but I only think of Hugh Grant, lovingly. Lovingly. It's all about Hugh Grant. I still, despite the setbacks, go about my day as if I'm in a movie. I put a soundtrack on Sonos. I wear a crop Prada T-shirt and flared jeans, though no one will see me, and I still read Vogue. And yet, Ben Affleck calls me. Well, not Ben Affleck, but the old flame. I'm his Jennifer. Only my bottom has deflated. Me. Yes, I'm on deadline. Him. I've sold out. Me. Thinking of what? You're so warm and fluffy. Yes, I'm on deadline. Those two words should have stayed in my head, but instead, caught off guard, I say them out loud. What do you mean, off what? Off tickets? Oh, that's fantastic. Does that mean I can no longer come because you've sold out? I'm sort of hopeful, not just because I can't stand festivals, all those smug people with hampers and mosquito coils as if it were Tuscany, but because the spa isn't returning my calls. I can't meet him with hairy knees. I'm like organic raspberries. I go past my sell-by date extremely quickly. Get a big razor out, you'll be fine. No, of course you can still come, but the suite at the hotel is off. What do you mean it's off? I try to keep the horror from my voice. The attraction, of course, should have been seeing him again, not just the square pillows. But I can't help squeaking. Then where will we be staying? What about the four collies? I have to leave straight after. That night, I've got another gig the next day. Who is he? Phil Collins. OK, I say, but could I stay over? If I drive too many miles in one day, Gracie's stress wheeze. All the rooms have gone. You could try a pub. Coy, he's winning, he's winning some favours here, isn't he? You could try a pub. This must surely go down in history, alongside the many put-downs men have given me over the years. Viz, you didn't always look beautiful on Celebrity Big Brother. Or, if the Evening Standard finds out your real age, will you be sacked? And my ex-husband, writing in the Daily Mail, Liz chose a young, impressionable ethnic man to accessorise her vacuous 40-something fashionista lifestyle. I still love that he thinks he's, he's a fashion accessory. I still love that he thinks he would enhance your image. I love it. Vacuous? I publish pieces, award-winning, about female genital mutilation, babies left to starve in China, Foot binding. I'm now currently Googling boutique kitchens with rooms, he texts. I'm joking. We've got the room in the main house overlooking the deer park, the one we had when you were on top. <gasps> da, da, da. I never go on top. Do you go on top? It's too much effort. It's like hard work. My mum listens to this podcast. What are you on? Shut up. <laughs> I'd rather have a trifle. I've got to be honest. I'd rather have a chip, buddy. Can't be bothered. You can read this week's diary in full in Man on Sunday's You magazine. 
I've chosen two archives this week, Nick, even though the readers say stop looking back. I'm sorry, it's part of the it's part of the deal. That's because it's called an archive. But I, you know, t- talking about Sally Rooney and being critic proof and everything is, and you know, having self doubt. The thing is, I, 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 I particularly think women do this. We just believe the bad reviews, don't we? Yeah. And we we harbour them, we nurture them, and we grow them when we think about them. Well, negative stuff will always stick with you far more than positive. It's yeah. far more powerful. It is. But I'm now going to read an interview. What date was this interview? It was in the Sunday Times magazine, which is a very prestigious publication. I worked there for 20 years. And I never, ever believed when I worked at the Sunday Times magazine that I'd be the subject of a profile. I never believed that. But that's an achievement in itself. It's an achievement itself, yeah. And the fact that it was Lynn Barber interviewing me... Amazing, amazing accolade. I could have died just then. I should have. I love it when you're positive. It was 2013. Anyway, she writes, the rock star boyfriend seems to be on the wane. He's more like a pen pal, really, I said to her, and she hasn't seen him since March. Does she even want a boyfriend? She's writing about me. She's writing about me. She, she. The most famous interview in the world is writing about me. So I replied, no, I don't really want a boyfriend. It's such hard work. So Lynn Barber writes, it's not as if she's keen on sex. She finds it altogether too stressful because I have to be perfect. The only time everything would be right would be when I just had a wax, just had a tan, was the right wage, which was once in a blue moon. I remember saying, I can't have sex if I've eaten. And he said, it's not like swimming, but I literally can't because I think I'm going to look fat. I don't think either of the men in my lives are seeing me completely naked. Well, someone that's not keen on sex, you seem to have quite a lot of it. No, not really. Oh, you don't know. Could Liz Jones do without sex entirely, Lynn Barber writes. Oh, God, yes, easily. I get more pleasure watching the towering inferno. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so why bother to have a boyfriend at all, she asked me. Well, I think maybe I wouldn't have pursued it if I didn't have a column. But with Nurpool, I realised I was only hanging on to him to write about it. I do put my column before my life, I do. If Liz wasn't a journalist, she wouldn't do anything. She would just look at DVDs and watch films and watch Cary Grant. That's true, actually. Liz's journalism really does rule her life, but it also gets her into terrible difficulties. She says she wishes she could be like Julie Birchall and upset people and not care, but she does care. It's more that I do it almost despite myself, I say. And I think that's because I want to do the best I can for the paper, because otherwise they think they're going to sack me. I wish I was secure enough to hold something back, but I don't. That's why I don't have any friends. I wrote about my sister Claire being an alcoholic the other day, and she phoned me up, and she was literally apoplectic. She kept saying, I'm a former alcoholic. How dare you do this? Well, why did she? I suppose I kid myself that we need to talk about the problem of 60-somethings drinking. But really, you know, I just want to keep my job. Liz says she has only three remaining friends, and one of them is her assistant, Nicola. Funny, isn't it, Liz says, that you only have friends who are people that you pay. Oh, Everyone else has dumped her. She was so close to her former assistant or Mary Claire, Kerry, that she wanted her to come on her honeymoon, but now Kerry won't take her calls. If Liz had her life over again, she claims she would do everything differently, but in particular... I would try not to get caught up in fashion. I shouldn't have looked at fashion magazines at such a young age. 
forever. It made me work hard, but it made me less happy. I would go to the fashion shows and think, I want to look like Giselle. I want her skin. And I'd go into the Gucci shop and I'd buy a £350 shirt and think, that's really reasonable. So my head was there to be turned because I didn't think I was good enough. Her book, because she interviewed me for the memoir, concludes with bitter regrets about sacrificing so much to her work. I thought diffusing my life through a typewriter or a laptop somehow made it okay. That if I suffered, if I slept on the street, was made homeless, was cheated on, or had my credit card snicked into in front of me, that at least it made good copy. That I would meet my deadline and fill those column inches. But now, I'm not so sure. I wouldn't do it all again. That's quite a good review though, isn't it? And to be interviewed by Lynn Barber for the Sunday Times magazine, that's like me... Bill Gates, Yves Saint Laurent, me. And you. Prince. But when I worked at the Sunday Times magazine, I never believed I would want being profiled in yeah. the Sunday Times magazine. Yeah. But then when it came out, I didn't read it. And I still haven't read it. That's the only bit I've read. Is that it? Really? Don't read See, it. See, I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. If someone wrote something about me, I'd have to read it. I couldn't stand it. I think you're made of Teflon. Me? No. I mean, there's been things that have been said about me that have upset me, um, you know, about online, about I'm very common and I sound awful and, you know, I mean, my answer to that is I talk how I talk, I don't pretend to be anything that I'm not and don't listen. But it is actually quite upsetting, it is. And, you know, people criticise you and think, I do everything I can to raise money for charity and do nice things and you pick on something and you're mean about me. You know, it, it does hurt, it does hurt, but I just couldn't not read it. I think your your way of doing it is better. I wonder if Megan reads all her interviews. Probably. Probably with her lawyers standing at either shoulder, ready to pounce. I think it's best not to read it, really. Yeah. I think, you know, at the end of the day, people are going to think or say what they think and say, and there's not really an awful lot about it. I think one of my old editors, Peter, he said, Liz, you only really have to worry when they don't write about you. Yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? You're, when you're irrelevant, your you're job is to create controversy. It's to create discussion, and that's what you do. It's very um, hard, though. It's very hard. I mean, there have been plenty of times you've written an article or you've written a column, and you've literally, t- like at the weekend, just don't want to look at the phone because you're look- you're waiting for the comeback, aren't you? Because you know damn well that what you've written is going to upset someone. But we have another good review, don't we, from Barbara Ellen? We do. Shall I read it for you? Yeah. This is when my memoir came out. It was, it was, yeah. And I'd written a piece in the Daily Mail. The famous piece. Very famous piece. It kept being on the news in America and it was on the news here. It was on GMB and everything. And they kept putting my photograph next to Vienna. So I'm like, (laughs) don't put my photograph next to Vienna. So I was very critical of Rihanna because she posed sort of prone with a bottle of champagne. I said, actually, if you're a young woman in Newcastle, you drunk a bottle of champagne, you don't have Rihanna's bodyguards to get you home Mm. safely. Just have a little bit of self-preservation. Don't get drunk. Don't wear your underwear and nothing else. And phone your dad to drive you home safely. So I wrote that piece about Rihanna and she was very, very, very angry, wasn't she? But actually, I don't understand why she was angry because I think she's got a lot of young girl fans and I think what you need to do is be a bit responsible and say, be careful. It's all well and great saying we're women, we should be able to go out in air thongs and 
nipple tassels and walk along the street and be perfectly safe. Yes, we should. Absolutely, we should. But this is real life. This is reality. And you're not safe doing that. You're just not. But there was a huge backlash and Rihanna posted, and it was the top trending story that day, that I was a menopausal mess. No, a sad, sloppy menopausal mess. That was a little bit harsh, it was, wasn't it? It, it, was, it was a little bit bitter, wasn't it? <laughs> but Barbara Ellen stuck up for me. What, so what does she write now? Right, so she said, you might have noticed Liz Jones and Rihanna's recent spat. I don't think anyone could have missed it. No. After Jones wrote that Rihanna was a bad role model and that the way she dressed was an invitation to rape, Rihanna called her a sad, sloppy, menopausal mess. Jones responded... At least she didn't say post-menopausal. At least I was still menopausal. Yeah. I mean, she could have said pre-menopausal to make it slightly better, couldn't she? Jones responded by describing herself as old, broke, overworked, penniless, depressed, lonely, barren, deaf, friendless, pensionless, in possession of cellulite and a post-menopausal beard. Rihanna was on a hiding to nothing when it comes to dissing Liz Jones. Jones is the undisputed champ. Yay! I beat Rihanna. I, shall I sing a Rihanna no, song? No, you are the undisputed Umbrellas, champ. Umbrellas, She has spoken. <laughs> I found love in a... Ho- no, no, we don't need I to sing. I found love in a hopeless no, place. No, 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 we don't I sing. I found love in a hopeless place. I'm a woman already on the edge of a grief. I, I don't need you singing. I found love in a hopeless place. See, I can beat her on the, on the singing. Ow. Every week, lots of you get in touch telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at Liz Jones Goddess. Letters? I've deleted some of the letters now. No, that's a joke. We've had 50 emails asking who the rock star is. You, you mentioned know, it. I was offered, I think, £40,000 by a tabloid. I'm not going to tell the reader, am I? No, Jen. and I've got to be honest, mate. If they offer me £40,000, I'm telling. I'm telling everything. Um, we also had Ian, who said, um, apart from the 50 emails asking who the rock star was, we also had Ian said, really enjoyed the podcast, especially the allegedly infill. That was you. Yes, you didn't hear the allegedly infill, did you? No. Because she was off at your party. But they, but legal was a bit concerned that we were going to get in trouble on the... Rebecca Re- Vardy and yes. Colleen Rooney. Yes. Because if we'd published the podcast last week without allegedly, there'd be another trial with... Colin Rooney and Rebecca Vardy versus me, who'd be slightly less well-dressed. Yeah, but I'm all right because I did the infill of allegedly, so I can't be blamed. I, I covered see my how ass. allegedly makes it any different. I covered my backside. I did, allegedly. So we've also got Alice, who says, Dear Liz, forward, not back. You seem to always go back to the exes, but why? If you didn't stay with them, there must have been a good reason. Think back to your previous column where you found your self-worth and you wanted someone that was on your level. If the rock star fits that bill, great. But are the reasons you parted reasons that you should stay apart? That's very profound from Alice. Yeah, but the trouble is it's quite hard to meet someone new, isn't it? Yeah, but I'm not being funny. If you have a nice dinner but then you're sick, you don't eat your dinner again, do you? 
You got you, you just wait until you can find something better. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit melplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday. But for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.